It's glad, I'm glad to be here with you. Like India said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all this morning to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who is either listening to us through our website or podcast, or you're here for the first time. So glad to have you here with us this morning. Well, uh, 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 many of you know, um, you put it together that I'm the pastor of this church, right? Um, but this is kind of like the thing I do on the side. Like my main job is I'm, I'm a father, right? Um, and I have the privilege of my schedule allows me to be at home uh, with my kids and to kind of be a stay-at-home dad. Um, but I consider myself to be my kids' like pastor. Like I pastor this church, but I also pastor my kids. I'm like their discipler, right? And so as their discipler, I have to find oftentimes creative ways to get my points across, creative ways to say the same thing kind of in a different way. And so it's not uncommon for us to have these sayings or these things that are familiar to our kids and wrapped up in them are meaningful lessons that I, their pastor, their disciple, their father, need them to grasp. And one saying that exists in our house, particularly among our boys, my wife wouldn't say this, but I, I, I'm prone to say, you know, life's hard when you're stupid. Now, my kids particularly like this because they're, they're not really allowed to say the S word. They're not allowed to say it's stupid. And we use it sparingly. Uh, but when we use it, like, we want to ma- maximize it. We're not frivolous with it. Like, this is, like, one of the unique sayings in our house. And our kids get the message, and they kind of chuckle every time they hear it. Like, life is hard when, when you're stupid. And so when I say this to my boys, they get the point. They understand and oftentimes, with four boys, there's lots of things happen. People are falling downstairs. We regularly have to go to the ER. People are just randomly running into walls, poking each other in the eye. And what I've discovered is that nobody is falling down the stairs, at least my kids, when they're just walking calmly, normally down the stairs, right? They're usually trying to see how many stairs they can jump down and they usually get hurt in that way. Nobody's running into a wall just by walking calmly. Nobody's spilling the pitcher of lemonade at the dinner table when they're just sitting there calmly, right, eating their food. It's usually something uh, crazy that's happening. They usually step out of, out of bounds of what we might consider normal and intelligent. And so if our kids go crashing down the stairs, you know, you know that feeling where you're sitting in the basement, you hear a loud cry, you run up the stairs, and somebody's falling. You, you figure out what's happened. And rather than saying, son, you did something stupid, I simply ask, is your life hard right now? <laughs> now, the one that's crying, they don't find this funny at all. But the other two or three, like, they get it, right? They know what I'm saying as I ask, you know, is your life hard? And they've taken to asking each other at various moments, is your life hard right now? Which basically suggests that they've done something that we might consider well, stupid. And stupid is simply defined as lacking intelligence or common sense. And there's lots of sort of stupid things going on, but I found that most people aren't stupid. Most people are what I might call situationally stupid, where they themselves aren't stupid. They just had a lapse in maybe good judgment, a lapse in wisdom, and they're just in that moment. Maybe they're distracted by something. Maybe they're, they're overcome by something. Maybe they're not thinking. Maybe they're not exercising good judgment for some reason. And just, they're just situationally lacking intelligence. Situationally has a lapse of 
exercising good judgment and common sense. And as a result, it's almost always the case that life is harder in those moments. And since we're relational people, we don't live in caves by ourselves. We're connected to family. We're connected to friends. People at work count on us and on down the line. Uh, It's also the case that other people's lives are harder when you're stupid or when your situation is stupid or when you have these lapses in good judgment and intelligence. Life is hard. Minimally, it's harder than it has to be, right? Well, if that's true, then it's also true that life is not easy, but life is easier when you're smart. Or to use a word that the Bible often uses, life is easier when you are wise. And wisdom is a subject that we often talk talk about here at this church, and we have defined, since we use it so much, we define wisdom as being skilled in living your life, right? You've consulted with the architect of this life, and he's revealed to you the secrets, like he's taking you behind the curtain and helping you have a systematic view of life such that you can understand the rhythms, you can understand people, you can understand the way the world works. And so there's a rhythm to your life, there's a functionality to it because you're operating in wisdom and you're making decisions based on that. Life is easier, more functional when you're smart, when you're acting smartly or you're operating out of wisdom. And I don't know one person that if they're in their sober mind, doesn't want an easier life. Uh, They don't want, you know, a a more functional, healthy life, but a healthy, functional, easier life that is the fruit of wisdom is an elusive little thing, isn't it? Few there be that find it. And so as we just stand casually at the doorway of yet another year, my guess is that many of you would say that you haven't quite had the type of year that you wanted to have. You had great ambitions, and you set great goals. You made great resolutions this time last year, but here we are again, and you're like, dang, none of that happened. I didn't walk in any measurable victory. In fact, I took a few steps back. Here we are again, and some of you might not even dare to hope or, or dream for anything better. But I believe that if we take to the wisdom of God, if we take to understanding and walking out this life as the master, the architect of this whole thing, uh, sets for us to walk this out, I think we can have a really good year. Now, I say that, I say that with a little bit of hesitation because I've been in church my whole life. I know many of you have been in church uh, for many years, and so you just know around this time, preachers bring out the slogans. They promise you the best year ever, like God's just going to rain down gold bricks on your head. You're going to, you know, you're not going to lack for anything. I'm not, I'm not promising you any of that, right? I don't know what this year holds for you. What I'm concerned about is, as it concerns me, as it concerns what, what I can control, what, what I can be in charge of, I want to make sure that I am not hindering the year that God wants me to have. I'll say that again. I want to make sure that I'm not stupidly just stumbling through 2018, but rather uh, I'm deliberately walking into this new year uh, with goals, with vision, with excitement and expectation about what God wants to do. And so since we're at the doorway of this brand new year, I want to begin a brand new series that will spend some time in over the next few weeks. Call, I'm simply calling it All In in 2018. All In in 2018. If there's anything, I think, considering all that we have cooking, right, 
not to mention what's going on in your own personal life that you want to see God do. There's some huge things that we want to see God do uh, as a church. We've asked God to grow us and to enlarge our territory. We're pursuing this building. And so there's just plenty of things uh, that we need God to do in this new year. And I feel like the key to that is that we collectively say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, whatever you set before me, I want to go all in in that regard. But to go all in is no small thing, as many of you know. Um, in uh, you know, thinking secularly or thinking of how the world thinks, it's, it's not really smart. It seems reckless. It seems foolish to go all in on anything. The world tells you to diversify your investments, right? Because there's nothing that's sure. And so you don't want to go all in. You might lose everything. That thing might go belly up and you might lose everything. But Jesus has a different sort of economic strategy. Jesus has a different sort of vision for how this life should be lived out, particularly for the Christian. He says as much in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus says to his disciples, his followers, if any of you want to be my followers, and I just assume that at least some of you, if not most of you, are here today because you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to be a better follower of Jesus, you want to figure out what that's like. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. He continues, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Now, Jesus is saying a lot in here. I could spend a lot of time on this if I wanted to, but I won't. But the essence of what Jesus is saying is, I want all of you. I want all of you. The Christian life does not work, and many of you have found that out. It doesn't work in any smaller denomination. Like, if you give anything less than your full self, like, you don't see this functionality, this wholeness, this health, this beauty of life with Jesus. It just doesn't, like, it doesn't work that way. It's kind of like a vending machine. If what you're looking for costs a dollar, it's not going to drop down if you only put 75 cents in. It's not going to drop down if you put 99 cents in, Right? And some of us, if we could use this illustration and picture, have been standing at God's great vending machine, counting your pennies, reluctant to just, put, just pay what it costs. What if I put a quarter in there if it will drop? Five years go bad. Well, I guess that didn't work. Let me put another quarter and see if it will drop. And ten years go by, you know, well, 75 cents. And then you've just been sitting there putting more pennies in and more pennies in. And all of a sudden... Some preacher's talking to you today, and I'm giving you the secret to opening up the life that God has for you. I would just say, put the whole dollar in. Put the whole dollar in. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, I only have a dollar. Well, that's what it costs. And you've heard me say over and over that the good life, it costs what it costs. You're waiting for a sale. You're like, surely it's the end of the year they got to get rid of some of the good lives. Maybe they'll slash some prices. No. Good life costs what it costs. you got to sell some stuff to buy it. you got to say no to some things in order to do Right? So it costs what it costs all in. And let me just be first to own the fact that as the preacher tells you to go all in, that there's great risk that comes with all of this. Because listen, if you spend your only dollar, right, 
If you push all the chips in, if you, if you press it all in and bet on Jesus and, and, and it doesn't work, then you've lost everything, right? But what if I told you that I can guarantee you that Jesus, like, he's the real deal? He, he's, the sure, he's a sure bet. That you'll get a great return on your investment. That, like, when you put your full self into God's vending machine, that the, the good life will drop. What if I, just, what if I promised you that? And Jesus does so much in the scriptures here. He says, I am the real deal. Press it all in. Double down and bet on me. This doesn't work any other way. Give up your life for my sake. If you try to reserve even just a corner of it, you'll lose it. You'll lose it all. All in, great risk, but also great reward. I just tell you, there's, just, there's a real sweet spot with Jesus that, that many of us have never, 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 never even begin to taste. And I liken it into, you know, a person who's in a good relationship. Maybe you're in a great marriage or great dating relationship where you've just, you've just gone all in with one another. You're past the point where you're skeptical. You're past the point where you're guarded. You're past the point where you're keeping score. Well, I paid last time. I wonder if they're going to pay this time. This, you know, you're just in a relationship where you're like, what's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. I'm not keeping score. You're just in a sweet spot of relationship where you're literally trying to outdo each other showing honor, outdo each other showing love and affection, outdo each other in devotion. This is just a magnificent sweet spot that you get in a relationship. And some of you are there in your relationships, maybe with your spouse or dear friends, right? But it's not much different in our relationship with God, where God has vowed to go all in with us, has proved it by sending his son to die. He's given up everything for us. He's asking us to go all in with him. There's this real sweet spot that we get with Jesus. But here's the really sweet thing. That as you try to love and press all in for God, like, you're not going to be able to out-love God. Like, he's infinite in love. He is the essence of love. You're not going to be able to out-give him and out-love him. His heart is bigger. His pantry is larger. And this little shovel that you're using to shovel love and honor and worship on him, his, good, his shovel is much bigger, Right? And so the all that we give to God doesn't even compare to his all as he lavishes it upon us, his mercy, his riches. This is a really sweet deal when you think about it. The return that we get on this investment where Jesus has slid all your chips in, this is a winning strategy, uh, but there's great risk. And few of us walk in this. And so my hope is, as we talk about what it means over the next couple of weeks to go all in, what, what, what's your appetite for this type of life? I want to kick through some of the walls that you've built up, and some of the skepticism you have about going all in with Jesus. I want to try to make the case that this is something that's worth doing. And so I want to talk about all in over the next few weeks. I want to start this morning on New Year's Eve day with a message that I'm simply just calling Four Tips for 2018. Four tips. I'm not going to even charge you for these. But these are, these are some really rich things. And I think if you lean into this, especially uh, as we set this at the doorway of God, what God has for us as a church, 
Because I believe that we can't walk into what God has for us as a church if the individual people in the church aren't walking that out in their own individual lives, you see. And so there's a corporate idea to this, but there's also a very personal and individual thing. And so I want you to take this personally today. I want you to hear what I'm saying as like an arrow toward you. And as we collectively lean in, we'll see wonderful things. Four tips for 2018. I want to look at a passage of Scripture, a short passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 20. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles, Acts chapter 20, verse 22? You can use the Bibles if they're there on your rows. Follow along in your tablets or your phones. We'll also be projecting it on the screens. Acts chapter 20, while you find it, let me pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to uh, lead your church and to stand here and to bring the word. What an honor it is. What a privilege. And Lord, as your people wrestle with these truths, I hope they know that, Lord, I've had to wrestle with them uh, in my own private time with you before I bring it to the people. So we're wrestling with these things together. We're trying to explore uh, the good life and what that means for us right here, right now, as we enter a new year. And so, Lord, I pray that you would put power in these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. And, Lord, please be with those that are traveling. Many people uh, are traveling today. Lord, would you, uh, would you uh, provide traveling grace and keep them safe, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 20. Verse 22, and you should know that this is one of my uh, life verses. A life verse, maybe you have a life verse. A life verse is just simply, you know, a passage of Scripture or a verse of Scripture that really speaks to you and it really kind of frames uh, what life should be like for you. Or maybe God really speaks to you or urges you or indicts you or challenges you or gives you a swift kick with one of these passages. And when you get crazy, and when you start to lose focus, you go back to one of your life verses and it like reorients, reorients you in a way that few of the passages can. This is one of, those, uh, one of those for me. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. A wonderful passage to, to preach on right as we enter the new year. Uh, but my life is worth nothing, Paul says to me, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul says in city after city, jail and suffering lie ahead, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And some of you, as I read that, you go, well, I can see how that's your life verse. Others of you go, I, I, you got to help me with that, right? Um, and I like this particular passage. It's real short because there's so much, there's so much here. As a church planter, as a person who's like, desperately wants to follow Jesus and desperately wants to make it, whatever, whatever that looks like. Like, I need verses like this to, to steady me. I need passages like this when things get crazy, when life gets upside down, when the people in my life start acting crazy, when I start acting crazy, when I start to lose focus and get discouraged. I need passages like this. It encouraged me, right? challenges me. It's a mirror for me. This is a pregnant text because there's so much more here than rest on the surface. The essence of this text is that Paul declares that his life is utterly meaningless unless he's using it, his life, 
to do what God put him here for. And what Paul says at the end of verse 24 is what he's here for is the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And just a question for you as we dive into this text this morning is do you feel that way? Do you feel like your life is meaningless? Like your life is absolutely worthless unless you are found doing what God put you here for? Don't answer out loud because, you know, I want you to be honest. I want this question to sit with you for a few seconds. Because many of us would probably say no. Many of you would, are very talented, gifted people. And you feel like you've got options. And if this old Christian thing doesn't work out, I'll be all right. If Jesus just happens to not be real, I, yeah, I'll be, I'll be okay. If I fall out of favor, if I fall out of faith, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. And even if I learn what God wants me to do and I decide, I don't really, really like that, I think I'm skilled enough, I think I'm gifted enough, I think I have enough friends with enough resource that I'll, I'll, I'll scrape by. And Paul is making no such declaration. Paul says, listen, if I don't do what God put me here to do, I am, I am I'm a, I'm worthless. I'm, I'm meaningless. There's no plan B for me, Paul says. There's no other option. And I tell you, the older I get, the more I'm, I'm blessed with the reality that, like, God, is, God has called me to a pretty narrow path. And that's not just my reality as a preacher. Like, God has called you to a pretty narrow path. And life off of that path Paul says is is utterly meaningless. It's the essence of futility and running around in circles, expending energy on a long road going nowhere. Paul says it's it's absolutely worthless. And I wonder if you feel that way. Like if that's what your heart says, Lord, life without you is meaningless. Life without purpose is meaningless. If I'm not doing what you call me to do, like it's, it's, it's not even worth it. My guess is that many of you don't feel that way. And what I'm trying to convince you, move you toward today, is this sense, just like Paul, that your life is utterly worthless if you're not doing what God called you to do. Like he won't release what you need and who you're supposed to be outside of that very narrow path for your life. And so hopefully that inspires and moves you toward God's plans and his purposes for your life, which I think is the key to having a year like you've never had before. It's the key to having, like, success in this year. And I'm not talking about getting richer than you were. I'm not talking about a bigger house or a bigger I'm talking like the walking in the functionality of wisdom, peace with God, peace with other people. Like, that's what we're shooting at, right? So in light of what Paul says and all that lies within this text, I want to give you four tips as we stand at the doorway of this new year. And so the first tip that I want to give you uh, is that we should be expectant. That you should be expectant. Expectant, right? I've been thinking about expectation a lot because I, I, got, I, I expect a lot in this new year. I could see it. I could smell it. I could taste it, right? But this is most of our undoing. We're not expectant. 
And before you just think that expectation is this passive sort of wishful thinking, I sure hope something nice happens this year. I really hope things, you know, I wish things would turn around. Now, this is like, like hope. This is like, like, I know that this is going to happen, and I'm waiting to see it. I'm, I'm counting on this. This is the type of expectation that I'm talking about. This is like where I'm sitting uh, with God right now. I'm looking for it. I heard the promise. I've heard the prophetic utterance. I've heard God speak and promise me things, and I'm sitting like actively waiting for it. I, I come with expectation, and my question to you this morning is, what are you expecting God to do? No, no, really. What, like, what are you expecting God to do this year? And some of you are like, oh, I don't know, I haven't given any thought. It's, it's the 31st. <laughs> you got no vision for the new year? What are, you, what are you expecting God to do? What are you hoping that he turns up with in your life? What, what, what wrongs do you expect him to right this year? What, what things within you that don't quite, you know, point themselves in the direction that God has? What, what are you hoping that God would uncover? What miraculous things? What favor do you, that you, do you hope to release? We're talking about having a vision for your year. Scripture says without vision, people perish. Another version says they cast off restraint or they're aimless. They're just walking over here and something calls out to them. They go over here. They see something shiny in the distance. They go over here. What are you expecting God to do? I found that it's not hard to tell what people are expecting uh, because I just look at where they're going, what they're doing, what they bring with them. If I tell you, come over to this pot and get some of this delicious chili, and you show up without a bowl or a spoon, I can probably guess that you didn't expect to get any chili, right? I said, come to the pool party, right? Come, we're going to swim, and you show up in a sweater and a scarf and hiking boots and your laptop. I might reasonably be able to deduce that you didn't expect to go swimming when you came, Right? Where's your snorkel? Where's your flip-flops? Where's your goggles? Where's your trunk? Where's your towel? I said we were going swimming. And so I just like want to watch and say, what do you expect from God? I just look and people just aimlessly run around. What do you expect to receive from God when you come here to worship? And people just hands in their pocket. They're drinking the coffee, two, three songs. Then they sit down and roll into their phone. You didn't expect to receive anything today. But I watch others of you. And you bring almost like this proverbial empty bucket, like you brought jars. I heard they're giving out, you know, the Holy Spirit might be poured out today. I came empty. I came ready. What do you expect? What do you want God to do? What has he promised you? And the reality is some of us live aimless, visionless lives because we expect absolutely nothing from God. We're cultural Christians. We go to church because we go to church. We go to church because the people are nice there. We go to church because it's an hour and a half, and that other church was three hours, and, you know, I'll go, and we can get out before lunch. Go to church because it's good for the kids to go, right? But we don't go. We don't come expecting God to just, like, pour out a blessing that we don't have room enough to see. Like, give us our marching orders for the week and to, to stir us and to challenge us and to shake us. And to burn away anything that's not like, like, we don't come expecting it. Some of us expect nothing from God. If I pressed you for the details of what you're looking for in this new year, some of you would, 
would have no expectation at all. Others of you would have a false sense of entitlement. You expect too much from God, things he never promised you. But that's another message. I want to drill down on those of you who expect nothing from the Lord. So I told you we're dealing with a pregnant text, some things that you have to look below the surface in order to uncover. And Paul says this in verse 22, And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to where? Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me that in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. And it's interesting because you might say, well, how'd you get an expectation from this? So Paul says, I'm bound to go to Jerusalem. I'm going there. And I I want you to understand that this is not just obedience. Paul is an obedient guy. He's learned obedience as Jesus learned it through the things that he suffered. He's walked with Jesus, so he's learned obedience. But this isn't just obedience. This is like Paul knows that there's something. If the Spirit's calling him to Jerusalem, and Paul knows from experience, like if God is calling me there, then God's going to do something there. And I'm so glad that what Paul said that he does know about this assignment he's got, it's not really the type of thing you want to go toward, right? Jail and suffering. How many of you would still go? But Paul has history with God. He has a long history with God. And he's seen God show up over and over and over. And even though he knows that jail and suffering lie ahead, Uh, Paul also knows that if God called him to Jerusalem, then God's probably going to show up in a mighty way there. That despite the opposition that they regularly faced, that God is going to do something awesome there, Paul goes with expectation. Why? Because just four four chapters before this, in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul is in prison. He's in prison with his ministry companion Silas. Some of you know the story, Paul and Silas. They got locked up preaching the gospel, they're doing time, sitting in the jail cell, and rather than sort of, you know, raking the cup across the, you know, thing, they said, why don't we, Silas, do you have your guitar? Let's worship, right? This is an instinct. He's in jail. Let's worship. Maybe something will happen. I don't know. They get to singing those old worship songs, and the jail begins to shake, right? Spirit of the Lord falls, rattles the place, all of the doors fly open. Prison guard goes, oh, man, I'm doomed. I'm supposed to be watching these guys. He's about to kill himself because surely these guys are about to escape. And Paul says, hey, don't do that. Uh, by the way, do you know Jesus? <laughs> Comes to faith, jailhouse rock, right? Worship situation, God shows up in the midst of prison. So even the fact that like prison and suffering away, Paul is walking with the Lord enough to know that in Jerusalem, God's just going to do something fantastic, man. Expectation in the midst of the uncertainty of what's ahead and even the certainty of some rough traveling ahead, Paul still has expectation and it's still, he says he's bound to go to Jerusalem. Come on, I, I know that this is going to be a stressful year. I'm just looking at my calendar and all the things the Lord has called us to and the stuff we got to do and the things I have to ask of you and the things I have to ask of myself. I mean, this is going to be a rough one. I can't wait. Right? Listen, I've seen too much. I'm ruined. I've walked with the Lord too long. He's too good. He's too kind. He's too generous. He's too lavish. 
And even if I didn't have a clue about what, what was there, even if I'm foggy about it, I, just, I know that there's good. I know he's going to do something. I know people are going to get saved. I know people are going to come to faith. I know people are going to fall in love with Jesus. Listen, I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it. What do you expect? Listen, is it going to be costly? Yes. Are you going to fall into some sticky places? Paul did. But God is on the move. And some of the, for some of us, the thing that thwarts and really wrestles down our expectation is, you know, like for some of us, you know, some of us have just legit had some really rough, you've just had some really stormy seas lately, right? And unfortunately, your life with Jesus has been defined by that, right? And so you, you, you don't look forward with expectation. Like when you think about Jesus, you think about, suffering. When you think about Jesus, you think about all the things you have to say no to. When you think about Jesus, you don't get excited. You go, well, here we go. What do you got for me this year? You know, what do you got for me this year? But Paul, he mentioned jail and suffering, but, you know, what, what, what urged him toward Jerusalem was that the Spirit called him there, and he, he had remembered, I'm sure, he could talk to you loud and long about all the things that God had done. And so, who among us I've had our lives and our futures and our expectations defined by just some of the hills that we've had to climb this year, some of the valleys and turbulent seas we've had to walk. And I, my prayer for you today is that the Lord would just reclaim your future so that when you think about your future with Jesus, you think, I can't wait to see what he does. Because what does Paul know? Well, he writes... Later in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. I told you last week, this is our, this is our verse for this year. Yes. More than we can imagine, right? But there's, there's more to that, I told you last week, right? Not only will God do more than we imagine, and this isn't the last time I'm going to say this, but he's calling us to do more than we initially signed up for. He's calling us to, you know, slide more chips in than we anticipated. He wants more from us than we had originally budgeted for. But the combination of God's all-in and my all-in and the expectation that awaits is something wonderful. Be expectant. Be expectant. But that the second thing, you can't just expect something, right? The second tip for this year is that you have to be available. You have to be available. And I want to be really clear on this, as I did with expectation, that this can sound passive. Like available sounds like you're laying on your couch, like waiting for something to happen. I'm available. Yeah, what do you want to do? You can do anything. I don't have anything. To do. This, is, this isn't really that, right? told you a couple of weeks ago that we're supposed to be occupying until Christ comes and occupying by doing the last thing he told us to do. And we often find our new assignment as we're busy doing like the last assignment. I, I told you that. You haven't forgot that just a couple of weeks ago. You haven't forgot that, right? And so being available isn't passive. It's not like, you know, lounging on a couch eating cheeses. Nothing wrong with couches or cheeses, but this isn't passive. This is active. This means that you're available. It means you're designated. It means you're earmarked. 
means you're spoken for. You are available for the master's use and purposes. Paul says this, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me there, except the Holy Spirit tells me in cities that that jail and suffering. So, so, so this is, I'm bound by the Spirit. He then says, I'm, I'm chewing this over. I'm trying to weigh my options. I'm trying to see if you know, I'm going to actually go because I'm trying to see maybe some, something else better comes up, right? I am bound by it. I'm bound by it. I, I am available. I am open for whatever God calls me to. And so it seems to me that Paul might have just got this assignment. Uh, the Spirit might have just spoken to him as he was doing something else. As he was ministering in some other capacity, and the Spirit comes and says, Hey, Paul, hey, good job here, man. We're on to the next. Do you know there's a, there's a holy uh, nimbleness that we must maintain? Like a, a holy agility, a holy flexibility that we must maintain if we're going to be, be, be available to God? That he might come at a moment's notice and say, Hey, hey, good work there. Hey, we're moving on to someplace else. Hey, don't get too comfortable in that relationship. That was just seasonal. Um, we're, we're moving on here. I know you don't like change. I know you like your plans to be set. I know you get frustrated with that, but uh, listen, I got, we're moving, right? We talked about this a little bit last. If you're like me, you just, I like to just long haul a thing. I like to be good and certain and, and set, and I want to build a nest, Right? But Paul is like seeing all this stuff happen and living the life, even though there's pain, even though there's suffering and struggle, but he's available. He's ready. He could turn it on a dime. He can move. He's not, you know, he's not got a 30-year mortgage somewhere. And some of us, our undoing will be that we're not agile. We're not nimble enough. You've got to know all the details first. You've got too much stuff to close down first. And Jesus said, let's let's go. Let's move. Give that away. Go minister to that person. Change jobs. Right? But if you don't know that God is good, if you don't rest in his goodness, if you don't give him the authority to be like the boss in your life, then of course you're going to have more questions, right? Of course you're going to need to see it all. And God never shows us. He never shows us all. Paul said, I don't know what's happening, but I'm not my own. I'm not my own. And you will never live your best life. And this isn't self-help. This isn't, you know, Tony Robb. This isn't, this is like, you will never live your best life if you're not available you're not open and nimble what the Lord would speak. You got to be available. Interestingly enough, though, if you are available for the Lord, you have to be also categorically unavailable <laughs> to other competing interests, right? And so when we say all in, double down, slide all your chips in and back, this is like really what we mean. And so the third tip, if you're going to be available, you, you also have to be discriminating. Discriminating, that's a dirty word in our culture, right? With all of our history of, of racism and slavery, Jim Crow, and 
you know, all the, the, you know, discrimination and prejudice, sexism. He's discriminating. We don't use that word often, like, in a healthy way. But I've learned that if I don't learn the discipline of being discriminating uh, in what I give myself to, then I'll never live the good life. I can't, I can't be totally available to God and still avail myself to all other things, especially those things that are competing interests. It just doesn't work. You've only got one you. And if you've slit all your chips in like you say, you, you know, then what, what do you have left for some other competing interest? Paul says, I am bound by the Spirit. I am bound by the Spirit to Jerusalem. In other words, anything that's not in the direction of Jerusalem or directly related to the purpose and the plan that God has for me in Jerusalem is, is I'm uninterested in it right now. And so some of you, had, you do yourself good to figure out what your Jerusalem is right now because some of us don't have one. And so everything looks good. Hey, you want to come over here? Oh, hey, you want to go over here? Yeah, right, right. But if you've got a destination, if you've got orders that you are bound to, then everything else is a competing interest. And this bleeds its way into every, you know, meaningful aspect of life. Listen, if you are married, then your wife, your spouse is your Jerusalem, and you better only go to Jerusalem. I'm bound by this woman. I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm just bound. I'm committed to it. And that's just as kingdom-oriented as preaching up here. I'm bound to my kids and being their pastor and being their disciple. I'm bound to them. You're single. You're bound to the, the holy single living and, and, and readying yourself for what God has for you. That's your Jerusalem. You're bound by any competing interest. I don't have time for it right now. I don't care who you are. Bound by the Spirit. I'd be discriminating. I'm unavailable to those things. And all throughout Scripture, there have been there, there are stories from Samuel to Samson, from Zechariah to Jesus. The word of the Lord shows up and says, because of the plan that I have for you, you are to avoid this, this, and that. This is what you're supposed to eat. This is what you're supposed to do. And often the parents are in on it, right? This boy's going to be great. Don't cut his hair. This boy's going to be this, or this girl's going to be this. Raise him this way because there's a narrow path. I've, I've got a mirror mark. They're designated. And because of that, they're categorically unavailable for this, this, and this all throughout Scripture. What does this tell us? That there are some nouns people, places, things that are simply incompatible with God's best for you right now. There are some nouns, people, places, and things, and some of them are coming to mind as we speak that are simply incompatible with God's best and God's next for you, and it is upon you to figure out what those are. And I've just found out that it's, it's not real hard for me to figure that out. If you are a person that's heard the word of the Lord, you've got expectation, you're available, it's not going to be particularly uh, hard for you to be discriminating 
and to discover what those things are in your life that are incompatible. For some of you, it's people. Some of those people have your last name. But they are the noose around your neck because they're not helping you be who God called you to be. Some of you, it might be your dear, sweet mama. Right? And Jesus is very careful with his word. What, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? And lose it. So in other words, it doesn't matter what. If it's a competing interest, you don't need it. For some of you, it's a job. Because that job is more important to you than God. Or maybe it's a job that, that puts you in the way of some vices that keep you stuck. Maybe you're prone to lust or pornography or something like that, and you're a traveling salesman where you have plenty of unspoken for time, you know, unaccounted for time, plenty of opportunity to lay up in a hotel room somewhere and just indulge. Maybe if you discover that you aren't strong enough for that, maybe, like, it's, it's a job. Or maybe it's something that pays you lots of money but keeps you away from your parish at home or, or leaves you unavailable to, to, to sow uh, your time, energy, and effort into God's community, into God's people, like, maybe, like it's a competing interest, right? Maybe it's something that leads you into sin. Maybe it's something that easily distracts you. But it's, it's upon us to discover those things that are incompatible with God's plan and his purpose for us to be discriminating. Discriminating. And I think for many of us, uh, we're really dealing within the realm of people. Like, I just feel like the Lord said, like some of us, it's people. That we're supposed to just be really discerning. We're supposed to be nice, sweet as pie, but some people don't belong in your space. <laughs> Every year about this time, I see Facebook posts. I'm, I'm cut. Yes, and you made the cut. <laughs> if you're reading this... <laughs> Every year, I'm like, if you were more thoughtful in January, <laughs> you wouldn't have to cut half the people off in December, right? <laughs> so I feel like the Spirit wants to, like, lead us in every area of our life, and our relationships, and our finances, and as we steward our sexuality, like everything, right? And he wants to give us wisdom to make good choices so that we are unencumbered when it comes to doing and being who God called us to be. Be discriminating. And the fourth thing because I'm running out of time, is, is that we have to be honest. We have to be honest. I'm not calling you a liar, some of you. Uh, but it takes a great deal of honesty to walk with Jesus. Mostly honesty with yourself. And this is big, and it's hard, and it's challenging. We talked about being expected. We talked about being available. We talked about being discriminating. All of these things have been you know, formed within Paul as he walks with Jesus, right? The Spirit of God walks with him, talks to him, helps him understand where he's supposed to go, but also serves as a helpful mirror so that he might see those areas and those places where he needs to press in to God. He's agile and he's available because he's walking with God. He can hear God's voice and quickly respond because he's been walking with God. And, and some of you, 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 you're not there. You wouldn't know God's voice if he was yelling in your ear, an audible voice. You wouldn't know. And that's not to make you feel bad, but 
That's why you don't expect anything. It's why you're unavailable. It's why you're walking this life out, making the same mistakes and the same decisions over and over and over, just wandering around on some pointless road. Because you haven't walked with God. You haven't cultivated what some call it a healthy inner life. I heard a preacher say just last night that if, if, if you are not going to take the time to develop a, a healthy inner life, he says, stop complaining to God that you have no peace. You haven't earned that right. Because Jesus says if you seek the kingdom first, if you search hard after him, there in that relationship, there in that sweet spot I talked about earlier, is everything you need. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom, by the way, that we're supposed to pursue above all else. The kingdom that demands we slide all of our resource, all of our attention and affection toward it, that happens as we develop an inner life with Jesus, that we become accustomed to his voice, that we actively turn down some of the other noises so that we might encounter God, and so that we might gain an audience with him, and so that we might have a rhythm of that so that we can do that whenever we want. We can commune with him. At home, we can commune with him corporately. We can commune with him in a car. We can hear him speak to us because we've learned his voice. We've cultivated a healthy inner life. Many of you don't have that. Some of you have never had that. Others of you have had that, but things have gotten complicated. Something has complicated your life with Jesus. You say, preacher, hey, I, I desperately want what you're talking about. Where do I start? How do I respond to all of this? Well, I'd love to tell you that it doesn't matter where you are today, whether you are walking with Jesus and you hear his voice or whether you have no vision for your life and you don't, wouldn't know God's voice if he yelled in your ear. This applies to all of us. And so we're at that point in the year where we actively lean in to what God is saying and speaking to us. And so at the beginning of almost every year, for almost every year that we've been uh, active as a church, we press into a 30-day fast at the beginning of the year. And I know some of you roll your eyes when this comes around, and some of you have said year after year, not out loud, but in your heart, I'm not doing that, it's stupid. And to you I say, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not here to twist any arms. I'm not here to you know, follow you home and peek in the window and see if you've, you know, given up M&Ms. I don't have that kind of time. I'm trying to hear God for myself. And when I first started this church, I felt like it was my business to just kind of police everybody's spirituality. I don't have to, you know, to quote the great prophet, you know, Sweet Brown. Nobody got, nobody got time for that. I just don't. I didn't have as many kids then. I had plenty of time. I was trying to fill my calendar. Like, wait, it was, I ain't got time for that. I got to make you take it. I got to make you keep it. And so don't feel any pressure, right? But this 30-day fast is an active way for us to strategically, deliberately be discriminating about who gets our attention and our affection. To look around the room of our life and say, you know what? That thing has grown larger than it should be. I'm doing that too much. I'm eating that too much. 
I'm talking to this person too much. This thing is toxic in my life. This thing is downright sinful. And so let me just, let me empty the room for 30 days in hopes that through that 30 days, the Lord might inform me as to what I should introduce back into my space. I describe it often as just being, you know, our lives are just rooms with all these different radios, all of them playing a different CD, all of them on a different station, just blaring. And as you go along with this fast, as you deliberately pull away from some things, God just turns down all these radios until, you know, at the end of all of that, God's voice. His, his frequency is what we hear. Let me tell you, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. But it, it's silly to sit on the bench on this one. It's, it's silly. It, it's absolutely silly. What good reason could you have in light of all that God has for us to not press into a place where you would sequester yourself What good reason do you have to not reduce the noises? We say all the time that food, social media, sex, they, you name it, go down the list. All those things that meet emotional needs. They meet our emotional needs. And when we actively deny ourselves those things, we look to God to meet those emotional needs. We increase our dependence on him so that through that dependence, we might be able to hear his voice and some spiritual formation take shape. And so we're going to spend the next 30 days, not starting tomorrow, but starting on the second, actively eliminating things from our life. And so those of you who got into the rhythm of this, you already know. You're like flaming hot, some naive takis, you know, little Debbie King, whatever it is, man. And some of you have just said, you know what? God's called me to pull away from food altogether. Or maybe I need to go paleo. No sugar, no caffeine. Listen, do, what, do, do it, but it's got to pinch. It's got, it's got to hurt, right? Let me, let me say that a different way. It, should, it shouldn't hurt, right? Don't, don't, don't be crazy, right? And some of you have medical conditions or you need energy to work. So you need to be calculating about it, right? But it ought, like you ought to miss it, Right? And in the absence of doing or engaging in what you normally would engage in, you're supposed to be actively engaging in things of God. 30-day fast. Also, the, the one, one other way we can respond is we could join, you could join a small group. Small groups are, is, is where community life happens, and some of you are well aware of what goes on in small groups. Others of you are either new to the church and like small groups. Others of you are not new to the church. You just said, that's weird. I'm not going to anybody's house. I'm not doing that. Much like fasting, that's fine. But what good reason do you have? Like much of what God wants to work out in us, he's going to work out in us through one another. I say it often that real community life happens in circles and not rows. We're sitting in rows right now. You're facing the back of somebody's head, and there's something we get out of this, but the real nitty-gritty of life happens in circles, face-to-face, life-on-life, and um, so you have an opportunity to grow, uh, join the small groups. Right now we have seven uh, small groups cooking. I think that's the most we've ever had. Another one might sneak in there within the next week or so. But next week you have an opportunity. We'll, we'll talk specifically about community life and the value of small groups for those of you who are uninitiated in that, in that realm. 
Um, uh, and we're going to have our small group fair next, next week so that you can actually meet the small group leaders. They can tell you a little bit about their groups. But listen, this is something, this is a discipline. And during this fast, I'm just asking that every single person that calls this church their home would press into a small group, right? We also have prayer meetings almost every Saturday uh, during this fast. Saturday morning from 8 to 9, it's an hour of prayer. Just gather here. You don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to. Some people just come and they sit. We worship a little bit and we pray. It's just an opportunity for you to develop another sacred rhythm and to press into a place where you can hear God's voice and we do that corporately together. Our prayer meetings, we also attend Restoration Ministries every week. It's just a food pantry that we partner with. Again, there's something deeply spiritual about serving others, particularly the, the, the poor. And so we have this unique opportunity to serve at Restoration Ministries. And so there'll be an opportunity for you to do that. Also, the last weekend of this month, we're having uh, um, kind of like our uh, uh, kingdom, kingdom Weekend. This is the culmination of all of this stuff that we're doing. It's going to be a night of worship. Uh, we're working on having my friend Dee Wilson, who wrote the song Yahweh that we sing, um, asking to see if we can get Dee to come and uh, just lead us in worship for our night of worship. And, and the following day, we're going to have um, a night of, uh, I'm sorry, the, the morning and afternoons will be an opportunity for you to come and receive prophetic encouragement and deliverance. This is an opportunity for you to come and have some people who are trained to, to hear God's voice just speak to you, encouragement with the, Lord, the voice of the Lord. And some of you would need, like, deliverance. You feel burdened. You feel oppressed by demonic spirits and things that have just been, like, tormenting you. And this is just an opportunity for you to come and receive uh, both encouragement and deliverance, and you'll be able to sign up for that. So, so these are, there are plenty of things to, to lean into as we, as we walk this out. Uh, we're trying to churn up, and worship team, you can come up. We're trying to churn up expectation, which means that we need to be available, which means that we need to be discriminating, which means, above all, we need to be honest about where we currently are so that God can do a work in us. Listen, I don't know about you, but I expect God to do wonderful things. I know you might feel like the preacher is supposed to say that, but I really, really, really have high expectations, not just for me, but for you and for this church. We have some great opportunities, and I think that God is going to blow our mind if we lean into this. And so let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for uh, just all the things that you have before us. God, we've got no reason with all the promises that you make and all the promises that you keep to not expect great things. And so, Father, I pray that over the next few days um, uh, and weeks, as we lean into this corporate fast, as we lean into life together, um, as we try to see what you're saying to us individually and us corporately here as a church, Father, I ask that um, for those of us who feel indifferent about this, Father, that you would move us in your direction for those of us who feel, Father, like, man, we reluctant. Father, I just pray that as we worship you today, Father, the Spirit would just, like, nudge us, push us in your direction. Father, for those who have engaged fast before and they've just been, you felt like you were just going to the most, Lord, I just pray that this would be different. Lord, as we worship you today, I pray that the faith level in this room would just rise. It would rise. And that we would see and expect great things. So come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.